Hey, TC, what time is it? Oh, it's time for a good burger. I mean, a makeover. <laughs> Hi, I'm Siege. And TC. And welcome to Movie Makeover, the podcast where we take the movies you love, think you love, the guilty pleasures, or the ones you downright hate, and give them a much-needed update. This movie's, this week's movie is 1997's Good Burger, written by Dan Schneider, Kevin Capallo, uh, Cap- <laughs> Heath... Coplo. 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 So sorry. And Keith Servert. I, I have no idea how to say half these names. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Uh, I would apologize. Put your white, and there's a good chance that you'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, <exactly>. <laughs> uh, directed <laughs> by Brian Robbins, producer of uh, a lot of Nickelodeon shows, including Cousin Skeeter, Keeter and Cal, The Amanda Show. But he also did like this HBO show called Arliss. Have you ever heard of Arliss? I've heard of Arliss, but I have not seen Arliss. It's honestly, it's like one of those early 90s or late 90s, early aughts shows that kind of shaped what HBO would become. But oh, really? Wow. a lot of people don't remember. Um, and then also Blue Mountain State. And have you ever seen Blue Mountain State? No, I have not. Dude, as a Florida graduate, <laughs> you you would understand <laughs> Blue Mountain State. That's all I'm going to say. It is one of the broiest shows you could ever watch, but it's very, very much, you would understand it as a Floridian. Um, One thing I do want to highlight is Dan's, well, not highlight, Dan Snyder, who uh, wrote this movie. He also kind of stars in it. He plays the manager in the movie. Um, He's a famous Nickelodeon producer. He's done... Um, all, Nick, all that, Keenan and Cal, he did The Amanda Show, Drake and Josh, Zoe 101, iCarly, Victorious, like, really there for a, a long time. Um, recently has had some controversy, though, um, with him being a little Me Too-ish. Are you serious? Um, Can we have no one? So I just want one person. A, an exit <laughs> from Nickelodeon due to some, uh some stuff uh it's funny because deadline reported about this and um (laughs) that i wanted to just say something that they said that i thought was really funny including his alleged well-documented temper issues for years his tweets showing photos of his young actress's feet um we're we're dealing with a quentin tarantino uh nickelodeon there's a comp video on YouTube actually where you can see all of these Nickelodeon shows and how like there have been like these feet close ups for like years that he's been throwing in and writing into the shows and things like that. It's creepy, man. Oh man, I like it's there's nothing sacred at this point in time. I feel like every single like I literally looked at the other day, there was a meme that was like, um, why are millennials uh jaded? I don't know. Maybe it's because we saw 2,000 people get killed on television at the age of 10, and nothing has changed. <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, this is a good intro to the movie that is this week, what? which is Good, good Burger. Burger. <laughs> well, the reason why we chose this movie specifically, um, I know we've been kind of harping down on 90s movies, and we've been trying to get out of that, but we did go to the Good Burger pop-up in Hollywood the other week, and it did inspire us to want to revisit a Nickelodeon's classic Good Burger. Absolutely. Uh, and we had such a good time at the pop-up, which was Good Burger. And uh, as you said, we just kind of wanted to explore what that movie was and, and how it holded up. 
Well, this this movie also plays a big part into this podcast because years ago, when me and Siege were first thinking about doing podcasts, we wanted to talk about Good Burger. That was a conversation we wanted to have. I think we even recorded like uh, like a demo episode of us just like talking about this movie. And so, like, it's it's interesting to circle back to it after having like done podcasts with you for like two years um, to basically like our our birth idea that sprung everything else absolutely okay so that'll bring us to the summary in this summary kenan thompson oh i'm so sorry i said all of that without telling everyone who this movie stars which is kenan thompson <laughs> kel mitchell sinbad <laughs> we have to do first kid or how's it we can do as many Sinbad movies as you fucking want, bro. I am down for that. First Kid is amazing. Exactly. Char Jackson, a.k.a. Kevin Federline's other baby mama. Uh, it's such I a weird... That that's a way to be famous. <laughs> it's such a weird world that that's how we live, where Char Jackson's... One of her biggest accomplishments without uh, Moesha is... Being Kevin Federline's baby mama. Yeah. Which is like, I don't know. Probably like top three of the worst things you can be known for. <laughs> and Han Sweeterman, who is the guy who plays Kurt. Ah, uh, of course his name is Han. Classic bad guy name. They should have just kept his original name. That's, that's perfect. Yeah, we're getting um, into right, the, the summary. Mm-hmm. Kenan Thompson plays Dexter, a high school student that is forced to work at Good Burger after crashing his mother's car into his teacher, played by Sinbad's car. The restaurant is also rivaled by Mondo Burger across the street, a menacing mammoth chain that could easily make Good Burger a piece of history. But Good Burger is not going quietly into that good night, as Ed, played by Kel Mitchell, has concocted a special sauce that makes Good Burger the hottest burger joint in town. And Mondo Burger is determined to steal the recipe and their customers. Dexter and Ed team up to beat the competition and end up unearthing a dark secret. Hijinks ensue. Yeah. Okay, let's let's back up a little bit. First impression, what did you feel when you first saw this movie and like how are you feeling about it going into it now? I feel like the very first time I watched this movie, I was like, what did I just watch? And now that I watched this movie Did I, you watch it in theaters? No, no. I think I always I think I watched it on Nickelodeon. Um, yeah. but I really honestly forgot my original original um feedback but when you and i watched it a few years ago i listened to that and my response was what did i just watch (laughs) how did you feel about it uh as i have probably mentioned to you in the past it's the first movie i ever saw in theaters twice um this here's the thing 1997 i was what nine years old six eight years old or something like that Keenan and Kel were my dudes. Like, I I have a whole thing I want to talk about as far as their impact on, like, little black boys in the 90s because I think that they did something fantastic. But, like, I saw myself represented in a way that I've never seen myself represented before. These guys weren't... They talk... They make little jokes here and there about them being black, but it plays no part into their storylines ever, either on all that Keenan and Kel or here. They're just normal, everyday 
kids and they're cool kids. Like on, on Nickelodeon, they were always portrayed as the coolest kids in the class. And I just, there was a fondness I have for them because of that. That being said, this movie is all over the place. Absolutely. <laughs> the well, I honestly, I have a section in my notes um, about black boy magic and, and what this movie is and what this movie represents. Um, and because of that, I had no problem going into the good of this movie. Real fast, I do want to share some uh, critical responses for this movie before we... Uh, um, well, this movie did come out in 1997. Um, it's not the best-reviewed movie. IMDb gives it a 5.7 out of 10. Um, Rotten Tomatoes gives it a 32%. Not great. But Roger Ebert gave it a 2 out of 4. Not his worst review. His comments were... His comments were like, hey, this is this movie isn't for me, but if I were eight, I would be into it, essentially, is what he said. Uh, budget, $8.5 million, box office, $23.7 million. It more than made its money back. So. Oh, it yeah. That's what we call a success. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah. All right, but what you said earlier kind of brought me into one of my The Goods, which was Black Boy Magic and Black yeah. Boys Smiling. There's This movie is... Black boys being able to have black youth in a way that we just don't get as much of anymore, especially if they're not athletic. I think that I've, I mean, going back on it, we've actually gone back and watched some of the older Nickelodeon shows. And one comment that I remember us talking about was how Nickelodeon casted kids who looked like kids who like felt like kids that would be in your class at school someone who'd be friends with your your older siblings like these are kids you would see on the street they're not these picture perfect polished gleaming disney kids like they're kids that like Lori beth dimberg or like danny temporelli like these kids that maybe don't have a certain like uh like the traditional look that you would imagine for a television star but have talent that's just so interesting and quirky and unique and so representative of the greater populace of, of kids um, and I think that specifically, um, when I think of Keenan and Kel and how they represented black boys in the way where they were just, they were allowed to wear any hat they wanted. Typically, it's a one size fits all for black kids. And so that was something that I really appreciated. So what I will say is, in this movie, as far as characters are concerned, um, Kel, Kel Mitchell, who plays Ed, is one of the best most original characters I've seen in a childhood movie. What he's doing is he's basically playing a black Spicoli um, from Fast Times of Richmond High, but you you don't really get to see a black Spicoli. You don't get to see a black. I'm gonna just say it, pothead. He's high throughout the I, the entirety of this I, movie. <laughs> I really question that. I really question what's going on with Ed. And I know we've talked about this before, but there are so many things to point to him being special needs. As he in, like, special opens Ed. up. He opens up with the burger talking to him. Dude is high. Um, <laughs> even if you yeah, are I special mean, or special needs, food doesn't talk to you. Um, the world doesn't change its shape. With Ed, I think that special Ed is a way for us to bring him into the story without while being kid-friendly. I feel like the network was able to be like, hey, no, no, he's special, 
But everyone who's ever seen, do you remember you and I went to the pop up? And are you going to tell me we went to the pop up just so everyone knows? And our server was one of the best hired individuals I could say for a pop up because he embodied sure. the spirit of Ed. And this was an individual who was high off his mind. And <laughs> he wasn't special. He wasn't special needs. He was someone who. When when TC's girlfriend was like, what did you do before this? He paused for a good two minutes and was like, I don't know what I did before I did this. <laughs> it was just like, yep. what was life before Good Burger? Good question, man. <laughs> this is something here. I'm not going to disagree with you. I just think that this movie, um, it leaves a lot of like uncertainty to that question because much like the dude where's my car movie we're seeing high characters who are never shown consuming anything that would make them act that way it's just left to be assumption in this case with him being called ed with everyone excusing all of this erratic behavior it's almost as if they're like like when you find ed in the milkshake machine you don't chastise him the way you would chastise someone who did a drug that made him act in a way that was irrational. They tested him like a kid who just well, didn't know any better. And so there's just a ton of times where I'm left questioning. I don't disagree that he's probably more high than he has like special needs, but I also don't put it beyond Nickelodeon to include a, 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 a disabled character into the, into a narrative that makes him a hero either. Well, I'm just going to say, in my opinion, if anything, Ed is both. But there is an element of <laughs> cannabis consumption in this movie that would only make sense because Ed is seen as highly intelligent. They they show when he talks At, about whoa wait 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 wait, wait 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 when uh, and what I bring this up is. When Ed, at the very end, they're like, oh, Ed, they show Ed had an idea to his plan and all this other stuff. And he was like, well, and he goes on this entire rant that could be formatted as a a, a very high speech of an individual who's just like, yeah, money would have manipulated the legal system. And I did this because he has enough money to go around consequences and it's very much a high man's rant and that to me only confirmed my theory that ed isn't special ed he's high ed higher ed if we should even go there what actually what that moment reminded me of more than anything was the end of little rascals when uh uh-huh makes his speech about why he doesn't like to 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 talk and how he actually is quite eloquent and all that stuff it made me chuckle because that's That's the first thing i thought that's a very good point and i love that movie so because of that maybe i'm willing to give you like two fractions of a percent I don't know, but we don't have to. We don't have to make that the main focus. But trust me, there's times where I'm like, if he's high, this is okay. This is not. If he's special ed, especially, I'm not. If he's special needs, this is okay, and this definitely isn't okay. So there's like conflicting moments throughout. Exactly, that. but in general, I just think that uh, Kel Mitchell does such a good job at he his improv is hilarious, and there are moments during this movie where you can see him just, like, take a moment or take a scene and make it his own. And I literally guffawed. I am a 31-year-old man 
watching this kids movie and I laughed the most during Ed scenes. I have to say too that that was one thing that like when I took a, a break from trying to figure Ed out and I was just observing like what Kel was doing with this character, there are scenes that wouldn't and shouldn't work but they do because he's doing it. The grapes in the nose thing is one that I found myself laughing at, which should be ridiculous, but this kid, he has all of the talent of like a young Martin Lawrence, you know? Like that's that's a, that's just a, this vibe I got from him. I also heard that on the set of all that, he was the one that made all the other kids laugh. So like this kid, I think just has a natural sense of timing, especially with his humor. Um, one of it, there's, there's some scenes in here. And that's the thing. I don't know what's improv and what's not. It feels like there are some things that are coming from a young black boy's perspective that I don't know that the writers could have thought to put in. Um, so I give him a lot of credit because I feel like, I mean, if nothing else, this character was something that he created and they built a franchise around it. Absolutely. And I think there's something to be said about the fact that to this day, Good Burger is... It's centered around Ed's character, like like <clears throat> the the slogan, the uniform, all of these things. They were built around something that Kel Mitchell created, or at least executed in a way that was so spot on that everyone could identify with. Even as kids, you didn't know about um, potheads, and you didn't know about uh, corporate. Um, you know, whatever. But you did understand that this guy was doing something that was funny. And yes. when I watched when I watched Keenan in this movie, and you know how I feel about Keenan, but when I watched Keenan in this movie, I saw him doing more of a traditional black comedian nineties performance. Whereas Yeah, Kel, I mean, he was definitely, like, the straight man. He was definitely more of, like, I'm too cool for this. I'm too cool for um, Ed. I'm too cool for Good Burger. But, like, I'm also, like, I'm a suave ladies man. And what's up, Shay Jackson? I'm trying to hit that. Like, what's going on? Like, he has that cool kid mentality. But I don't necessarily know that it's a cool kid mentality that's specific to being black either. being... This is when Chris Tucker was really hot. This is when... Uh, Martin Lawrence was really hot and their signatures are being that fast talking smart mouthed challenging of authority individuals and Kel is not any of those things but Keenan is and that's yeah. my one thing is that Keenan is kind of leaning on traditional uh, comedic tropes and Kel is actually pushing the envelopes of what a black male could be I, I, I think that's true. I think that's also what makes Ed stand out so much, though, is because I feel like Keenan really does set him up for assists. Like, he is a, the Scottie Pippen to his Jordan in that way, of, of, like, giving him the room and the freedom to act really erratically in this way that normal people would be like... Like, Keenan is representative of the audience's perspective of Ed. And as Keenan's perception of him changes, so does ours. And so for that, I do give Keenan a lot of credit for humanizing this performance that otherwise I don't think... Had Marquise Houston been casted in this role instead of the best friend, I don't feel like it would have gone as well in that regard. Possibly, but I also just feel that that's because Keenan and Kel had a back and forth. I mean... Again, oh, I yeah, keep yeah. going back to this, but like I have strong feelings about 
Kenan Thompson, and I feel like you have the opposite feelings, so you're always going to be defensive, but... That's not to give, like, to take away everything from Kenan Thompson. Because to, to execute in a way that's recognizable as Chris Tucker or Martin Lawrence at that age is, is notable. But at the same time, I feel that Kel, the entire time I watched this movie, like, <laughs> there's a scene where uh, Kenan's like, we can't be friends anymore. And Ed is like, is it because I'm black? And you're just like... Yeah, I thought that Again, was I laughed so hard at that. And then there's also the scene where um, Ed is like, are you chicken? And he just starts to moo. And that, like, I'm like, this should not be as funny as it is. But there's 100%. something about the simplicity of the joke that makes me laugh so much more than anything Keenan does. What are your thoughts on Sinbad in this, in this movie? Who? Sinbad. What are your thoughts? Uh, Ah, Sinbad is in my bad, so I will wait to get there. Oh, wow. Okay. One thing I will say about Sinbad is that I feel like Sinbad, in in the same vein as like Rosie O'Donnell or or Robin Williams, just was purposefully made it, I don't know if it was purposeful or not, but he really produced content in the 90s that I felt like as children we could really relate to. We felt like they understood us, that they were talking to us. And I feel like his involvement with Keenan and Kel is just another, um, it's just more evidence that he wanted to connect to young people in a way. And I really respect him for that. Well, yeah, absolutely. I will say that Sinbad, even though he's in my bad and we'll get into that, I feel like Sinbad has always been someone who doesn't take himself too seriously and therefore is willing to share his knowledge and gift and uh, presence to something like a good burger, which may in all honestly be beneath him, but he it's also a training tool for rising artists such as Keenan and Cal. Well, Keenan, I think, said in the interview that like a lot of comedians of that time really showed Keenan and Kel a lot of respect and a lot of love. And a lot of the times the reason why they were able to get like, uh, you know, special guests on all that or even in this movie, we have Shaq show up is because those two were able to form relationships with people who showed them a lot of respect. And the fact that Shaquille O'Neal is in this movie, actually very similar to Sinbad in the like in the content that he was producing in the 90s, trying to reach children. I can respect that because his between his movies and his work on Nickelodeon, I thought he was a pretty awesome guy back then. So um, today, I might feel differently about his performances in his movies, but that's how I felt at the time. Yeah, no, no, no. I get that because you're right. When I saw Shaq, like, there's a scene where they're like, oh, you won't believe who we got an order from. And I honestly had forgotten who it was. And when they go to the amphitheater, and it's Shaq, I'm like, oh my god, again, Black Boy Magic. This is, by the the way, this is at the time the equivalent of meeting Barack Obama. This is like the pinnacle. (laughs) It's just the pinnacle of being a black male. It's like, who else would you aspire to meet at that time besides Jordan? You know who I... You know what I'm saying? Yeah, definitely. I mean, he was... I don't know if you remember the like sports stories with Shaquille O'Neal that were on Nickelodeon, 
where he would make these like small stories about like, you know, a kid wanting to play baseball in the time when it was segregated or or like things like that. Like all these sports stories that had to do with like black youth and like finding some like larger purpose to life through sports. It was a really fascinating series. I don't know if you can find copies of it anywhere, but the fact that he invested time and energy into that like really made an impression on me as a kid. Yeah, um, so I want to get into another one of my goods, which was Monique, played by Char Jackson. Um, I loved it. I loved her. Yeah, tell me, tell me what your thoughts were. I just felt that I really liked how she was this three-dimensional person. She didn't have, um, she wasn't Carmen Electra. And I, I think Carmen Electra's character, I have thoughts about. Um, but I felt like that's how I would imagine a movie to treat a woman in this time period. But Char Jackson challenges Keenan. He, you know, you know, she ultimately plays a larger part in his relationship with Kel in the movie. So I just think the way that she was uh, so uh, careful with Ed really spoke to me a lot about who she was. Absolutely. And she seems to be the moral compass of this movie. Um, even though... It kind of doesn't really give weight to that in the beginning or the end. In the middle, she is our guiding force. She is our North Star. Yeah. She lets Dexter understand, or she's the audience perception of calling uh, Dexter out. Yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, I just I thought she just did a really good job too. I thought her and Keenan had good chemistry. Um, I also love like that Keenan was given the ability to be a romantic lead because he does not have the appearance of someone who typically gets casted as a romantic lead. And that as a kid, I was just like, whoa, I'm being represented in a way I've never been represented. And the, for this person to get um, just the, the, the pass of being cool, I don't know. There was something about it that he wasn't considered, in my mind, a black kid. He wasn't considered an overweight kid. He was just considered a kid in a way that I envied so much. Well, I feel like there's a few, again, um, dog whistle scenes with Keenan that lets you know that he is black and the whole comedy is that this black boy is doing this non-black thing. However, I will say that it's vague enough to give it the benefit of the doubt. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I also feel that um, with Keenan specifically, there is growth and there is a story arc more than anything. So not a more lot of More than some of the other movies we've covered. <laughs> yeah, more, more, I would say more than the other character um, movies. And then especially in this movie, most other characters don't have an arc but dexter does and strangely like so does like the old man kind of so does like the manager kind of like there's all these little tiny stories with the background characters that i find interesting like one of the woman's vegan and the other person um you know is the, the cook who is like kind of grunty and i don't know it was a fun little cast of people i thought they had a good burger absolutely uh, and it was diverse, which we always love. Um, it does not pass the Bechtel test because two women don't speak to each other at all, which I was like, how hard would it have been to get Monique to speak to the one other female character or even Carmen Electra? But why would we do those things? Yeah, um, I, yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> I don't have an excuse for that. They just there's not enough women in this movie for sure. That's that. Um, I do, but Marquis Houston is that on your good or bad? Because I kind of. So I have. Um, we kind of started off with the bad, which for me, which is that. Uh, Kenan Thompson is not that great, nor is he that original of a character to me. As I mentioned earlier, he kind of reminds me of Chris Tucker or Martin Lawrence. And most of the conflict in this movie is all from him. Like, he does not have a license. And he's driving. And he gets in an accident. But after he gets into an accident, he gets a a job as a delivery driver and it's like why did you go from hey i don't have a license i got into a car accident i occurred this i'm gonna drive professionally to pay it off yes (laughs) still without my license and that was my big i actually i one note i did put for that was that that's kind of entirely on that manager's fault for hiring a driver without even checking to see if they have a license what are you doing guy I completely agree, but he also does ask him. It's kind of like going on the honor system, where the manager's like, "Do you have a license?" and he's like, "Yes." <laughs> I, you know what? I um kind of want to go back and talk about Ed a little bit, just because there are a few things that, like I said, made me raise some eyebrows because I didn't know where they were coming from. All right, whether go. he's high, whether he's special, whether he's special needs, there are a few things I need clarification on. Like, why is he showering in his uniform? Yep. Why is he able to lynch a girl who is jump roping? Why is he able to throw a baby through a basketball hoop or be responsible for that? And just everybody look the other way and just be like, there goes Ed being that again. Like, no, maybe we should look into some of his behavior. I'm not going to lie. The baby scene was one of the most traumatic scenes I could ever watch, <laughs> especially if you are a parent. They exchange the basketball for a baby and throw the, they literally throw the baby into the air and through the hoop. And I was like, this is the most stressful I have been watching a scene. Um, I also thought it was really irresponsible for Sinbad to just kind of like, I understand why he didn't uh, reprimand Keenan at all, but to put that kind of pressure on a kid without, like, involving their parents, without involving the police at all, I, I don't know. I feel like, if anything, he should have had a conversation with his parents about what was going on and what Keenan was doing to work it off, having some kind of understanding of it than just putting all of that on, like, a 15-year-old or however old Keenan's supposed to be. Um, I don't know that I would have done the same. Uh, no, actually, in my, my next notes are... Not only is Sinbad's acting not great, <laughs> and his character is kind of confusing because he has this 1970s afro and uniform that doesn't really make sense uh, for being placed in the 90s. But his whole, uh, I hate to put a black man in jail uh, speech, but when he immediately is kind of like, in a way, blackmailing. Keenan's character, Dexter, I was yeah. like, uh, this character is kind of problematic in in a myriad of ways that I can't just write off as the writer. You know what I mean? Well, and I also feel like, in a way, like, it wouldn't be the worst idea to check Keenan either, because Keenan kind of carries around this privilege that I don't think he's even aware of. And 
the fact that he gets away with this, essentially, he has to get a job where he haps ass his way through all of it and scams Ed out of money to half the time. The fact that ultimately he's not really even responsible for the car based on what happens at the end of the movie. And also there's that scene where he steals an ice cream truck at the end of the movie, joyriding yet again after he got in trouble for it like an hour ago. Absolutely. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to say about that. Yeah, that was one of my things where I was just like, this doesn't make sense while I'm following. And, I mean, it's not supposed to make sense. It's kind of like, in a very weird way, it reminded me of Dude, Where's My Car? Without being Dude, Where's My Car? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, um, I also had... Thoughts on Kurt? I, oh, Kurt is my next thing. It's so funny. And uh, my thing is, like, the actor who plays Kurt, uh, he's kind of trying too hard. To play this bad guy. As we said earlier, like, our, when we originally watched this, I spent most of the movie being like, you're at best a regional manager. Like, like, there's no implication or there's no story to let us know that you are the heir to Mondo Burger's success. And even if you were, we don't see Dave Thompson's kids fighting on the behalf of Wendy's. You know what I mean? Like, that was a big problem I had with this movie, too. Because I didn't understand who he was to the franchise of Mondo Burger. He seems like he's a manager. He acts like a CEO. He's the face of the company when they do the premiere, like he's Zuckerberg or something. Yet he's still back there, like, figuring out, like, you know, common everyday restaurant stuff. It just didn't add up to me as far as, like, who he was or what, why this was important to him. I was like, Kurt's trying too hard. And uh, also, he didn't have to tell them that, you know, this was illegal. There's, like, a scene where they're in the backyard and, you know, they're trying to steal uh, everything and they find this, whatever that chemical is called. And um, I think it's Ed. It's like, oh, that shouldn't be illegal. And Kurt just goes, it's not legal. And you're like, well, you didn't have to say that. No one was, like, they didn't no. know any of that. <laughs> also, if you're doing, like, highly illegal activity, why are you paying attention so closely to the restaurant across the street like just be quiet and stop attracting attention to yourself god damn be smart about this yeah it was also funny to me because uh during that time there there are employees literally a foot away from him while he's telling about the illegal plan while he's talking about the future illegal issues and you're like your employees are right by you and they are getting paid maybe five dollars an hour <laughs> Yeah, because he says, Ed, you're getting $5. How does $10 an hour sound? To which Ed goes, crunch, 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 crunch. <laughs> Again, but it did make me wonder, like, $5 an hour. Like, that's, I mean, I don't know how inflation works, but, like, was that more money then than minimum wages now? Like, <laughs> Well, so here's the thing. It's what's sad is that at the time that this movie came out, $5 an hour was the norm. Uh, or, like, four seventy five was. And then... By the time it was released, five twenty-five at least in California was the standard. So for them to be like, um, you're only getting five dollars an hour, says that um, Ed could be getting more under the new law. But at the same time, minimum wage now is seven twenty-five an hour, and it's way below any other inflation. So. For them to offer him 10 is actually a really good deal. 
not that numbers mean anything to Ed. He doesn't seem to understand what, like, two and two go together. Like, he doesn't... His intelligence is convenient when the, when the story needs it to be. Like, Specifically when he... Carmen Electra shows up. But you finish your name, and I want to talk about Carmen I was going to say, like, he knows the recipe in and out. Like, the perfect, you know, amounts for everything. He understands, like, he has this big plot for why he takes down Mondo Burger at the end. But there's little things that were, like, people were asking him, like, hey, I want a good burger with nothing on it. And he gives him two pieces of bread and says, well, you said you wanted nothing on it. So it's, like, one of those things where he's smart when it's convenient for him to be. Absolutely. Um... You want to talk about Carmen Electra? I do want to talk about another movie in which an adult tries to engage in a relationship with a child because Carmen Electra is not a child. Kel even says, I see my dad every day. I live at home. I am a teenager. He does not drive. What is happening? Absolutely. That's that's just my thoughts. Yeah, no, no, no. I just thought it was very weird because Carmen Electra is someone who also like joined this movie. She is not acting and i'm not gonna say that carmen electra was ever supposed to be the 90s meryl streep but it's kind of extremely flat and even the jokes are extremely one note and outplayed even for this time i feel i do have to say i found it a little funny when ed just was not buying some of the stuff that carmen electra was throwing at him i did think that was kind of interesting like this whole take on like the honeypot and how like Ed just is it, just so far from what Ed can even comprehend is happening that he's just ruining it and doesn't even know it. Um, but in a way, saving himself from a trap that a normal person would fall into, I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, well, so for me, my whole thing was that Ed could have, or like Carmen Electra could have been someone where they just showed as being part of this quote unquote mastermind plan and then it failing but instead they really show her as in my opinion a buffoon who uses sexuality and only sexuality as a tool yeah definitely um one thing i wrote was like you know i i did find it very interesting that they were in a way commenting on like meat consumption and gmos and just like the chemicals that we're putting into our food i thought that was really interesting and i also thought there was that scene where the dog is trying to choose between a mondo burger and a good burger and it doesn't want the mondo burger it wants the good burger um i just thought that was a really interesting thing but it made me wonder like mondo burger is giving people this like actually genetically enhanced and with chemicals just the worst shit ever food how are people not shitting themselves how is how are there not side effects that are causing the destruction of mondo burger irregardless to what keenan and keller are doing so what's really funny is i found a um kind of i don't know chart or whatever about um uh, that whole thing and it's just like Every all of the evils, quote unquote evils that are going on in this movie, um, Mondo Burger is the least of our worries. You know what I mean? It's just like in terms of GMOs and global warming and all the other things that we could be talking about that I kind of feel that this movie hits on. Mondo Burger is not the problem, you know, and it's just like, well, I mean. Yeah, I would I would agree with you, but then there's also moments where they're straight up putting shark poison in sauce. Oh, so I was gonna talk about the FDA deal. portion. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
Um, what are your thoughts on the asylum scene and how the the portrayal of crazy people in this movie? Ah, uh, okay. So first of all, I wrote literally my notes say an asylum scene is such a '90s trope. Um, yeah, and I did not like the idea of the asylum being the place where all psychopaths, which they use a lot, they use that word a lot of. I was like, I am not a fan of that word. Like even the guards were like, they started dancing. They were like, hey, look at what the kooks are doing. Like really dismissive to these people. And one of the things that I found super interesting was that this film decided to show us that Linda Carlini, who's the crazy girl, the quote unquote crazy girl who falls for Ed, is very similar to Ed. There's not much of a difference. So even as a kid, I remember thinking, why is she considered crazy and he's not? And I do wonder if that's something that as children, we're supposed to understand that people who are considered mentally ill are just the same as us. Maybe that's a comment that they were trying to make. Maybe I just stumbled upon that and decided to make that a theory. I don't know. But it was something I I questioned. We see, um, we see Ed released like the giant big guy um, from his restraints, and immediately that guy goes off and starts committing violence. There's literally a sound clip where they say he's killing Sydney. Like it's like what? What? Like he just. One thing I do want to say about that end scene is that they were. Gosh. They were kind of making a subtle reference to One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest yes, as far I know as like, the ending. But you're right. It's not well done at all. It's not well done. And it also kind of like for children's, especially for a children's movie, it kind of leads to a just a problematic understanding of what it means to be mentally ill. And the mentally ill are seen as a joke. They are seen as... Um, Pawns, they are also seen as well-coordinated when it comes to uh, a spontaneous dance, which, by the way, is another 90s trope, which is that you just start dancing out of nowhere. Everyone knows the dance. Choreographed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone knows it. Um, We see another great example of that in She's All That, which you and I both have commented on as well. Um, Yeah, I just thought there was a few things like that with the asylum scene. Um, And I just also thought their portrayal of the older guy was really interesting. I'm not really sure what they were trying to say about it. But when they were like, they introduced him, they're like, hey, here's uh, Otis. He's 77 years old and still works in fast food. Ha ha ha. And I was like, oh, that's kind of sad. I don't know if that's a if that's a joke or not. Like, Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> and that, my whole thing was like, why is, why is that character still working? First of all, he seems to be way yeah. past everything it feels like to me if anything we should be investigating why he still has to work because that person at that age should not be required to work the way that he is and i do think that it's supposed to be like a commentary of some sort um but every time we hear about him he is degraded for his age not really empowered by his age controversial statement I don't think anyone at Good Burger should be allowed to work at Bur- Good Burger. I think they're all the common. Oh, absolutely. Every single one. The whole opening sequence is someone waiting to order a burger, but every employee coming up and saying, I can't do that because that's Ed's job and he's not here yet. I wrote what? one of my first notes was Ed is a bad employee. In all honesty, oh. like it's one of those things where if you look at it objectively, if you take away the 
um, insertion of poison and, you know, things that alter Mondo Burger, they're not wrong to want to give Good Burger some competition. Good Burger voluntarily has an employee who is late, who does not have good customer service, who bathes in the uh, shake sauce and several other ones who enable him and are this ain't my business thing and then do me type individual that's and this is the thing that makes me think that they would fire him if they legally could ah. but there are there are reasons for why they can't because of him being some kind of mental handicap i don't know but that's the only thing that makes me think because if he were getting high and just swimming in the milkshake machine he'd be fired at least i would think so i don't know yeah no no i get what you're saying it's really funny because i actually thought like seeing a black kid beat up security guards on one hand i'm like yes do your thing black lives matter but on the other (laughs) hand i was like i don't know if this is giving the good idea of what we want to encourage African-American students of this age to do with authority. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or, 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 or the, a number of things like joyriding and stealing cars or any of the things they do in this movie. Um, hey, I have a question for you. Um, you, how, you have a driver's license, right? The Burgermobile would be hard for anyone to drive. Can Absolutely. you agree on that? The Burger Mobile is one of those things where it's like a lawsuit waiting to happen. <laughs> yeah, and so for this kid who doesn't even have a license to begin with, to be like, oh, I'll take this job, made me question a few things about Keenan. But what also made me question a few things about Keenan is that, all right, I don't know if we're led to, supposed to believe that his parents are gone for the entire summer. Or if they were gone during the incident and he's just telling his parents, I'm working at Good Burger for the summer and not telling them about the crash. I'm assuming that's the case. Absolutely. I would agree with that. Like, there's no real evidence, but it kind of, for me, it fits the story. What I want to know is why Keenan would choose to work at Good Burger, especially after Mondo Burgers opens. They're cutting hours left and right. No one is making that much money. Go find a retail job. Go work somewhere else. You clearly don't like working for fast food anyway. Like, do something. You have a whole summer to make $2,500. Move. Make some moves. It's terrible at being in fast food. Again, what's crazy to me is I looked at it. He is hired as a delivery driver, and we do not see him drive the car. We see Ed drive him to Shaq. It's almost as if they didn't want to show us him driving after they acknowledged that he didn't have a license as like the filmmakers or something, because you're right. He's a delivery man who never makes deliveries. He's just hanging out at Good Burger, trying sauce, counting money. Like that's all he's doing. And that's a really good point. I did not think about that. Um, Ed in general is supposed, not Ed, Dexter. Dexter is supposed to be the guy who had the biggest story, which is why he starts off as a, without better terms, shitbag. But, like, we're supposed to root for him and everything because he sees the error of his ways. But he also understood early on that Ed cared about him and went to bat for him. And he's, his first thought was to steal from Ed. And the yo-yo scene makes that especially difficult because... Keenan has this great monologue where he talks to Ed about how his dad, like the last time he saw him, he gave him this yo-yo and it stopped working and his mom threw it away. 
And Ed says, like, hey, I got you this yo-yo with my the, the sauce money I got, the money you let me keep after you took your share. I went and got this yo-yo for you. And that was just one of those things where I thought, oh, I actually, I like that. I like that they made Ed, Ed's character care so much about Keenan to where, like, he's seen as being absent-minded, but he's actually just paying attention to things that matter to him. And sometimes that's not a bad thing. For me, I kind of support this movie and what it's trying to say with male relationships. But also, I just feel like there's nuances that could have been explored a little bit better. Um, hey, question for you. Should people be eating Ed sauce? This guy puts grapes in his nose, by the way. <laughs> I feel like Ed's sauce is fine. Uh, should they be eating that Good Burger? No, I would not recommend it. <laughs> yeah. We kind of hit on it a little bit, but... Kurt plans to kill people at Good Burger. Like, he is putting shark poison. Shark poison into their mixture. And I was like, dude, that is a, a felony. This isn't, like, some casual play. You are going to jail for a long time. That was a really intense thing, considering that they were poised to put Good Burger out of business anyway. They could have done nothing. There's no way that Ed's sauce got so much attention that they were taking money away from this, like, crazy popular restaurant. It just seemed like small potatoes. Like, why do you care? For me, it kind of feels like The Lion King, where Scar gets blamed for all the bad weather that he has nothing to do with. You know what I mean? And it's just kind of like, for me, Kurt went to such great deals when it's like, dude, you're a chain competing with another chain, and as long as your food is good and you have ties to the mall... You guys are, like, locked in. You are able to sell more for less. Like, the fact that your burgers are so much bigger for the same price, like, that's enough. That's Just wait it out. Like, I don't think it's a hurry to close this (laughs) restaurant. Yeah, also, uh, one other thing is this is just more of a note, but, like, I love that Mondo Burger had its premiere in the middle of the night. You know, it has, like, a nighttime premiere, and I was like... What restaurant is opened in the middle of the night? What I have a, one other question for you is that what do you think was the reasoning for not including either Keenan or Kel's parents in the story? Do you think the movie's better for not including them? And do you think that there should have been any communication between their parents and them? Um, in a way, I do. But I feel like we are bouncing off of the 80s trope, which you and I spoke about earlier for some movie where parents don't exist you know we're dealing with goonies land we're we're dealing with home alone where um the story revolves around kids without parents and like what does the world look like without parents now at the exact same time i feel like a lot of parents should be involved and there are questions that could have been answered or there are people who would have gone looking for these kids uh, because they are kids and they're 12 and their parents would want to know where they are. But at the same time, I'm willing to forgive that narrative because we're in the 90s and we're in the early 90s and it's kind of every kid for himself. I, You know what? It's not until you just brought it up that I really thought about how much of a 90s trope it is to have a kids movie in which the premise is to get away with something before your parents find out. 
and that if you give kids time, they'll figure it out and they'll have some interesting learns along the way. But in the case of like blank check, in the place of like, don't tell mom the babysitter's dead, in the case of big, it's always like this, like a story of, you know, I'm going through something, don't tell my parents, I'm going to figure it out and eventually I will and everything will be okay. Absolutely. And that to me is, it's not great, but it's also very true to the tropes of that time. Um, Do you have anything else for the bat? Um, no, I think the lynching the little girl and the baby (laughs) through the basketball hoop was kind of my main thing. Yeah, that was, that was extremely hard. Um, okay, so the makeover where we kind of partitioned. All right, so, um, do you know who Caleb McLaughlin is? Sure, Yeah, exactly. So for me... He was also in the new edition. Oh, yes, also true. For me, I would like to see... A remake. Um, I don't know. We kind of didn't hit on this earlier, but there was a sequel to this that was written into a book called Good Burger to Go. And I don't know what it's about, but I just love that that taking of it. Uh, you know, the two go. Anyway, um, I do love that. And for me, I would love like it a story where um Caleb's character gets a job at Good Burger. And Ed is now manager, and minimum wage isn't enough, and they kind of fight with local politicians to raise the minimum wage, kind of like recess the movie, you know, where it's like political, and it's fun, and you're seeing things from a kid's perspective, because the fact that this movie kind of has a, a message of... GMOs and that's that's kind of like the onus of Good Burger. It's like we don't need all this artificial stuff. Raw ingredients is the way to go and the way to be successful. Um, I would love if they took on that that burden of fast food workers and their next big fight. You know what I mean? That's what I think Good Burger could do some good in. I you know what I really like that idea. I like the idea of like them recruiting Ed to like a corporate level if there is such a thing as a corporate level and you know the underbelly of it being these workers who feel like they're not getting the 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 reward that's coming from the corporate office making money off of the Ed sauce something like that and Keenan and and Keller are just in the mix trying to figure it out. Um, but I also really enjoyed the moment in this movie where he is connecting with Linda Cardellini because I love this idea of how this movie really embraces outsiders. Everyone at Good Burger is an outsider. Everyone that Ed connects with is an outsider. And so when he's put with another outsider who just gets it and understands him, I thought there was something really interesting about that. So I would love that if at some point, you know, Ed runs into a group of people that he feels understand him in a way that Keenan doesn't and maybe Keenan getting a little bit jealous of, of that and kind of flipping the tables and have him realize how special that relationship is to him. So you um, want to go Terminator 2 with this series? Ah, uh, maybe. I, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I do think that like when you're doing a classic buddy comedy, um, you know, you, we see this in Toy Story all the time, that sometimes the most interesting thing you can do is separate them. And Absolutely. instead of put them together. And, and have I them agree. Work to like, for me, I feel like this movie and any sequel would benefit from them being apart and working their way back um, because it would only solidify their relationship, which right now is kind of one-sided by Ed, you know? Yeah, definitely. All right, so what are the ponytail and glasses of this movie? Like, what are the two things holding this movie back from greatness? 
here's the thing. <laughs> I feel like we've made a lot of comments about the things we didn't like. Obviously, there's a lot of uh, problem, mental, you know, problematic uh, things, adults dating children, whatever. But I will say that I can't think of like a quick, like if you do these two things, this movie is going to be significantly better. Like it's a kid's movie. It's made for kids. And I think that kids would enjoy it regardless of, of that stuff that we talked about. So I'm not really sure. Maybe just making um, Mondo Burger less extreme and more realistic might have helped a little bit um, or focusing more on Keenan and Kel's relationship. But honestly, I don't really have a, 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 a comment for this one. What about you? The two things holding this movie back are actually the directing. I feel like a different director would have done like a better job with this. Kind of like um, Penelope Seferis, I think is her name. She did The Little Rascals. And oh, yeah. she was someone who, like, The Little Rascals is a great movie that has child actors and she gets the most out of them. And I just kind of feel like this movie kind of suffered in the sense that you can kind of feel that some scenes are, like, pulling at these child actors to give them more. And mm-hmm. I feel like a better director would have been able to get that from them and like follow their vision a little bit differently. What do you think? So you think that, that if a different director had taken on this script with these actors, they could have really done something with it. Absolutely. That and then also losing the asylum scene. I feel like you yeah. lose the asylum scene, not only does it not take away anything, it cuts down the movie time and it's just a tighter movie. I actually, when I was thinking about it, um, I think if if they were to do something a little bit more modern with it, I would love for Ed to meet someone whose sexuality was a bit of a question mark. Like, there's something about his trademark, I'm a dude, he's a dude, she's a dude, that I think you could play with in a way to, like, disrupt gender norms that would be really interesting to see Ed involved with. Um, to really like make I'm a dude, he's a dude, she's a dude, like we're all dudes. Something about that. I feel like playing with that somehow, this thing that's been so integral to his character and expanding upon that would be really interesting to see as well. Absolutely. So um, that is our review of Good Burger. Thanks for listening to another episode of Movie Makeover. Remember, you can find us on all the places that you are listening to podcasts. If you're listening to us now, guess what? You found us. And we're there. So we would be on any other platforms that you would be able to find us. Uh, that is at movie underscore makeover. You can find me on Twitter at Extra Siege. That's X-T-R-A-C-E-E-J-T-C. You can find me at Braver Me on Instagram at dot braver dot me. And if you guys have any thoughts on how to make this movie better, please write us at movie underscore makeover on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and all of our social medias. You can also email us at moviemakeoverpod at gmail.com. Specifically, I would love to get your thoughts on is Ed high or not? I would really (laughs) love to know what you guys think about Ed being uh, under the influence of marijuana as the explanation for why he is why he is. I I would really love to read your thoughts. Yeah, uh, as always, I'm Siege. And I'm TC. Makeover and out. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know some of these words. <laughs> <laughs>